Three Podcast. I am Robert. Yes, and I am Reggie. And what I wanted to do before we introduce our guests is I kind of want to introduce in video first. We're going to mix it up today, Reggie. Why not? I think it's a good way to introduce our guest. He's kind of the man behind this video. Did a very did a very cool case today. A gluteal MRA on a physician who had a desmoid tumor removed from his right gluteal muscle. So they wanted to look at the vasculature on the left and right side and make comparisons. We had to look at these two very small vessels that come off of the inferior iliac. So the superior and inferior gluteal arteries, you see how small they are right here. So we started with some balance gradient echo sequencing and just did some fiestas with some thick slices down through the pelvis. You can see the femoral and the iliacs pretty good, but it's hard to see any of the smaller vessels here. You can see them a little bit coming off, but certainly challenging. After this, we did a coronal fiesta, same thought. I wanted to get some bright um, vessel sequences here, just in case we missed our timing on the contrast enhanced. Then we did an IFER, enhanced IFER sequence, which in the axial plane, you can tell is probably gonna come out pretty nice once this is mipped, because you can see even the small vessels down here. I'll show you those mips now. This is pretty impressive. So this is the side where he had the reconstruction. This is the right side where the desmoid was removed. You can see the iliac here coming off of the femoral. And then I'm gonna show you here the inferior and superior gluteal arteries. This is one of the prettiest MRAs I've ever done. Check out this view again. This is non-contrast, enhanced 2.0, inflow inversion recovery sequence. Here's the iliac, the superior gluteal artery and the inferior gluteal artery. Looks just like Google Images on my right-hand side here. We then tumbled this just to show a different view, and this is equally as impressive here, especially that view right there. Very, very happy with the enhanced package. And then we did just your regular contrast enhanced large field of view lava sequence, and we did tricks with five different runs. Subtraction with a standard mask technique. And this, I would think, would be my favorite image if we didn't have those enhanced images that came out even nicer than this. And I'm pointing right at the area where we're looking here. Again, on this side, you don't see any of that vasculature because of the reconstruction. Pretty badass and definitely worth sharing. This is a superior and inferior gluteal MRA. I love it, Rob. Well, that's who it is we've got today. Rob, clout here, clout here. Yeah, whatever you want. Well, I, I used <laughs> to say cloutier when I was young, noun. and then I learned that it's actually cloutier, and I... Uh, a <laughs> couple things I love about that. First of all, the image quality, right? And you're an artist because at the end of the day, this is all art, I think. Um, and also your, your passion. And that's kind of what really is, I think, probably what draws a lot of people to you. I mean, definitely me. I mean, I've heard about your name for years now i mean right. we're located in uh va the valley of phoenix and it's a pretty big metropolitan area but i've been hearing about his name for years now yeah for and sure so it means i'm getting older after the, <laughs> yeah. well it means you're a very credible reputable man for Everybody. very good reasons and right. actually you were suggested to us as a guest by more than one person. And after I heard about it for the fourth time, I said, finally, all right, I got to I got to reach out to you. Right. So thank you for joining us, Rob. We kind of let you pick today's subject because you have so much passion for so many different things. But what's today's passion? This video I shared with you, gentlemen, because I had never done a gluteal MRA. But I think that that's the fun of it, right? Right. Hey, can you do a gluteal MRA? 
intuitively I always say yes and then I try to figure it out because that kind of switches me on a little bit. I can relate to that. Yes. <laughs> uh, after all, if I can't do it, who can? Right. That's how I look at it. I'm an MR technologist. So if somebody says, can you use the MRI machine to do an exam that the patient needs and I say no, I think to myself, what will they do? So uh, it's th this video is just, I thought it was appropriate to just show you guys that you know this is this is our process and all too often technologists say no we can't do this or that for whatever reason it is right. and it's only the patient that suffers right well what's awesome is your passion translates to patient care right um and that's at the end of the day what it's all about i mean uh how, how long have you been in mri for actually we haven't done that yet so let's kind of introduce yourself yeah where are you from how long have you been in mri uh North Attleboro, Massachusetts, right yeah. down the street from Foxborough. Nice. People know Foxborough because where the Patriots play. Mm -hmm. And uh, about 30 miles south of Boston. I was a military trained radiographer. So got bad grades in high school. Like this guy. Yeah. You were. Yeah, 68 Papa. 68 Papa. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's what they call it nowadays. <laughs> I was a little ahead of Reggie. Uh, it was a 91 Papa. Oh, nice. Then, but your Army. That's right. Yep. Army. At Fort Sam. Yep. Fort Sam Houston. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah. yeah. So same. Same. Uh, background. Should I just excuse myself? Yeah. No, no, no. We, uh, <laughs> we, we, we're inclusive. <laughs> civilians there. But, uh, you know, my father was an army recruiter. So normally when kids go into the army, they're sold a bill of goods by their recruiter. But my dad told me, he's like, pick a job that you can do in the civilian sector when your military time is done. So I did that. And uh, I tested pretty good on that ASFAB test. It's not difficult. Right. And they said, you qualify for a lot of jobs. And I looked at the list, and it was respiratory therapy or x-ray technology. And I had played sports in high school, had my ankle injured a few times. And I thought the x-ray techs were cool guys. Right. I was young. I was impressionable. The room was dark. They were cool to me, taking pictures. Yeah, your ankle's fine. So when it came down to it, I was like, I'll choose x-ray. So that's how I got there. Just bad grades in high school, going to the Army, grow up. Oh, and by the way, you tested pretty good. You can be an x-ray tech. Sounds cool. I think that's pretty awesome. See, high school just didn't keep you engaged, and that's why you got bad grades. That's, that's, that's right. what I say. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's what I say. <laughs> well, I guess today you wanted to kind of talk about the psychology of the workspace, uh, specifically how that is pertains to MRI and radiology. And, uh, so if you would, just kind of take it from there. So this is a... Uh, I'm only now comfortable at age 44 to talk about these things <laughs> right. like they actually exist because for a long time I was confused and almost forbidden to talk about these things in an educational environment. So my, you know, we all have a essence, right? Uh, who we are And mine has always been an educator for as long as I can remember. I like the process of learning, but not learning for me necessarily, but to be able to share. Um, See and people have that aha moment, right? To I think so. Yeah, eyes, and I, right? And, you know, whether it be coaching or teaching or whatever it is, my favorite thing to do is to interface with people, right? See their potential, and then meet them where they're at close enough to the point where they raise for whatever reason because I'm involved. That's what switches me on. Nice. And you two are MR technologists. That's right. Represent. You understand, technically, that is a gigantic 
list of things you need to be competent at. Oh, for sure. There's a spectrum there for sure, right? And we teach that stuff. We teach you this is how you use the equipment, and this is what the doctors are looking for, and these are the safety concerns, and we got it all down. And I've gone everywhere to teach technologists that. And what happens inevitably is I go and I do my little song and dance from a technical competence standpoint. Here's what you need to know. And I get a call back a month later and it's everything's messed up. And I think to myself, well, a month ago, everything was really fine. What happened between now and then? And it's the human element. And I can't tell you how many times I'd go and do my technical competence routine and they'd ask me to come back a month later and then I'd go back as Dr. Phil because it was always a human problem with communication in the superior inferior game that exists within radiology where clinicians are at the top and technologists are in the middle and there's a chasm there between those two and that chasm's growing because they're no longer you know down the hallway where we could go to lunch with them but they're in a remote location it's so my whole thing has been, yeah, technically this is what we need to be doing, but honest to God, let's learn how to communicate with one another before we even talk about those things. Right. Uh, who benefits from that is the patient, because you know if if we're talking more with the radiologist, we're they're they're educating us, we're educating them about right. what what we bring to the table, what they bring to. The, I, I mean, there's a purpose to it, right? I mean, communication at the end of the day is what improves all relationships. Right. <laughs> Well, and, and as a technologist, your goal is to get the best possible scenario for the radiologist to make the most confident reading, right? So you need to be able to communicate with them or at least be able to think like them to understand what they need so that they can be confident in what they, you know, give in their report so that the patient can get the right care and move forward with things. So, man, I, psychology is one of those things, though, makes me a little nervous. I think it makes a lot of people nervous man. and because we have to ask some questions and visit some things that we necessarily don't always pay attention to. Right. I had a situation where there was a, you know, I was an MRI technologist for many years before I moved kind of away from that into education, but there was a, you, you two will love this. It was a, a very typical scenario in our lives where a patient comes down and they don't fit into the box that most of the patients fit into. Whether they can't lay a certain way or a certain antenna doesn't fit on them appropriately, they can't hold still, whatever it is. And uh, you guys want to get into some technical stuff for a minute? Yeah, you guys. Let's play tech. It was one, you know, guy had (laughs) an ulcer. (laughs) Guy had an ulcer on his foot, on the outside of his fifth metatarsal. And he came down and he had dementia and he was constantly shaking. So I'm on a scanner in a hospital somewhere, and there wasn't a radio case space protocol built. No problem, because I'm the technical guy. Right. It was a Siemens scanner, so you open up some blade protocols for you non-MRI technologists. That means patients don't have to hold still, and we can still do our job. So I build the whole thing, right? Because that's who I am, and I like that. And I am creative and artistic, and I'm a technologist, and I love that. So you do the whole thing. The dude is laying on his side. I got his foot in a head coil. I'm building blade sequences from the ground up. I don't care what the protocol is because I know doctors need to see dark fluid and bright fluid and they need to see fat dark. Right. That is MSK radiology, right? <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's what it is. Right there bundled up. Right. Yep. So I built it. And 
the dude was wearing out at the end. The guy was screaming, ah, you know, like patients do in the hospital. Right. I had already had the axials. I had already had the long plane. So on the sagittals, I just decided to go through the fourth and fifth metatarsal because the main ulcer was on the lateral side of the foot, a little bit of osteomyelitis in the fifth metatarsal, a little bit of lesion in the fourth, but one, two, three were perfectly fine. Now, how would I know that? I'm not a doctor because we know those things. It doesn't take a doctor to look at the same red house day after day after day and then notice a pink one looks different. Right. I'm not diagnosing. I'm simply critically thinking to get this poor dude off of the table because I rel- you know, I'm with him, right? right. Like he's not in a room locked. Like he's with me and I feel his pain and I pretty pictures in the shortest time. That's right. my job. So I'm proud of the case I did, right? Because this guy got what he needed, and I know many technologists would have just punted. And I'm feeling good about myself, and the phone rings an hour and a half later. Who's the technologist who did the foot exam? And, you know, I, oh, I'm ready to get my compliment, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Why did you not scan all the way through the foot in the sagittal plane? Well, guy was wearing out, da-da-da-da-da. Right. Um, I know you could see the lesion on the short act, whatever. She says... She, the radiologist, I don't know who it is. Get him back down and finish the exam. And are you a doctor? Where'd you go to medical school? And you know, I'm from Boston. I played football in college. I was in the military. I like where this is going. I mean, I, you know, I'd turn the desk over uh, if I wanted to. Right. And I hang up the phone and I'm feeling terrible about myself and everything comes back to me. Why didn't I go to medical we school? scan time because that patient was in discomfort. They have a window. They have a threshold. <laughs> you have a window of opportunity, and the radiologists don't, you know, appreciate that. That's right. And they're not all that way, but some of them are. Just like there's some technologists that wouldn't have even have, have attempted the case. Right. So I went from feeling great about who I am, personally, as a professional, as an empathetic human being helping this guy who needed the test. They have a definitive answer. Right. Okay. The guy has bone infection in these two spots. They can treat it. Hooray. Right. So I sit there and I'm pissed off. And then I notice that the report is signed. And it's 445 on a Friday. Oh, she's, so it's, she's it's gone finalized home. and everything. Oh, it's finalized. It's done. Oh. She wanted me to bring that patient back down to remember that I'm not a clinician. Oh. Not because she was going to do an addendum. Not because she needed any more information because the study was clear. You could have done it just on the axials. Right. A lot of radiologists could have done it on the T1 axial. Right. And that was my moment. And, I, and, I, and that happened to me. And I played the victim for a few minutes. Pissed off. Why didn't I go to medical school? I'm a loser. All, all that stuff. Right. And then I got through all that. And I said, I want to interface with these technologists to make them understand that we can be professionals, not being clinicians. And that was a, a watershed moment for me. That's awesome. And that's funny. I mean, it's frustrating. Oh, uh, we've all been there, right? Yeah. When a, man. I mean, what do you do in that moment, too? Right. <laughs> and, and it's not that because there's 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 this spectrum, too, where you do something like that and you won't hear anything about it. And you don't. it's just like, OK, hopefully everything's good. You go back, read the report and it seems like everything went fine, but you don't get any feedback. You know, so which one's worse where you get non-constructive? Because I'm all open for constructive feedback, too. But it sounds like you weren't even getting constructive feedback or anything like she not that she was upset with the study. She just wanted to prove a point. 
whatever she was doing that day, right. she was not having a high vibration day. Right. Um, in the superior inferior game, which is what I call oh, that. Yep, that's exactly what. And it by is. the way, we're to blame too a lot being playing the inferior superior game. Right. I really get nervous when I meet a technologist and I say, "Well, what, what do you think?" And they say, "I'm just a tech." That's like nails on a chalkboard to me. It's like you're training everybody around you in that moment how to treat you. I'm just a tech. I am inferior. That's a clock in, clock out person. I mean, and by the way, so am I. <laughs> as far as like management aspirations, but <laughs> but like, uh, I mean, you got to have an interest in what you do, and there's got to be reason that you come back every day with a smile. And well, it's just no reason why, because. MRI is a serious ball game that we're playing, right? They, we're, we're looking at fine structures, small detail. I mean, when the MRI is ordered, they're expecting, they're expecting some sort of quality, right? They're expecting some sort of result in order to get an answer that they need that they can't get from any other modality or else they wouldn't order the MRI in most cases. Um, so it's, it's very tough because a lot of us, and we've noticed this with just starting our podcast, there's so many people are passionate about what they do when they're scanning these patients, you know, because it is, there's a craft to it when you can get something like that done that you did. And, and, and to be kind of torn down by, you know, someone that you want maybe to even try to mentor you and try to make you a better technologist, but they're going a whole completely different route with that. It's, 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 it's hurtful, man. So, you know, but uh, I feel like if you haven't been down that route, and I feel like most of us have. If you haven't been on that route, then it's only a matter of time. Or you're just very lucky because I feel like it happens often, especially if you're willing to take that chance, that risk. Because if you're comfortable with what you do, then you're taking that risk when you do those little shortcuts versus just not doing the patient at all. And I think maybe that's why certain people don't want to do it because they're like, nah, maybe it's not worth the risk to get that call from the rat. But it's not worth that. What it's worth is getting that patient through the test so they can get the results they need to move their care forward. I think so. Right. Absolutely. Uh what I see is us all coming together with our rings, right? The doctor, the tech, <laughs> the ordering physician. Right. <laughs> and what you get is this optimal like experience. Right. <laughs> the right planet. All right. I mean, we all understand that there is room for improvement as far as relationships go within radiology. But like, what would you say is step one? Yeah. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for that. <laughs> I think I have an idea of what step one was, at least in my experience. Uh, you know, I'm 44, right? So I started in 1999, and that was really before teleradiology. So the radiologist was two doors down. You'd go to lunch with him or her, right? You'd see each other on the walk to the bathroom four they times a day. They would pay for it, right? Keep going. Oh, they'd pay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would pay. Um, they would always pay. They should pay. <laughs> but we have a common goal, and that is we have the same customer, which is the patient. Right. We have two customers, right? right? We're the in intermediary. We have to take care of the patient, give them what they need, and we have to give the radiologist what they need. So we have to balance that. But the one thing us rads and us have in common is the patient. So step one for me was is connecting. Your partner, Katie, your partner, Katie, uh, who just coughed right on cue as soon as I said her name. Yep. <laughs> Katie, big shout out, turn up. <laughs> Katie, Thanks, uh, Thanks. which Katie, by the way, I don't think in our introduction before I forgot to mention, she's our MRSO, which I think right. is very worthy of mentioning. So, uh, Katie, sorry, MRSO. Thanks so much, Robert. Go, Katie. <laughs> I was at that conference um, with her for the MRSO, and oh, she nice. met a colleague of mine, Pat Rucker. I was very lucky. He's the best radiologist I've ever, he's the, forget radiologist, he's the best clinician I've ever worked with in my life. Oh, wow. And his commitment to 
helping people and patients transcends that of being a doctor. And I was 23 years old when I met him. What was his name? Uh, Pat Rucker. Patrick Rucker. Rucker. He's out in Montgomery, Alabama now. Nice. Shout out to the Dirty South. Looks like we're making a trip to, what you say, Alabama? Uh, Montgomery. Yeah, (laughs) Montgomery's not that nice. Pat's a home run, but (laughs) we'll we'll meet him somewhere else. (laughs) But Katie met him. And of course, he's one of the, you know, those doctors that went to the MRSO thing, you know, MR, whatever his segment of that is. But he's a doctor that wanted to learn more about MR safety, but... We connected on what the patient needed when I was 23 years old. And I didn't know anything about MR. I kind of fibbed to get into it. Hey, how long have you been doing it? You know, X, but it was really X minus two years. I just did whatever I could to get in. And once I was in, I didn't know anything about a dynamic liver exam. I didn't know what they were looking for in the different phases or one minute out or three minutes out, but it was him. He's like, Rob, let me show you. If it's benign and you give contrast, it fills in like this. If it's metastatic, it goes in quick and it washes out quick. And this is why we need images here, here, and here. Now, I wasn't a doctor. I didn't need to be with his thoughtful explanation. Right. That's how I connected. That was step one. Hey, Dr. Rucker, my name's Rob. I don't know a lot about what I'm doing. I know you do. Could you help me understand what you need to see? So he would. Hey, bro, let me show you. This is a shoulder, right? Right. I don't even really look at anything but the coronals. No kidding. <laughs> Why? Well, look at supraspinatus. You can see that little bit of edema. Oh, by the way, this is why I need an intermediate fat sat and a T2 fat sat. Because if it's brighter on the T2 so fat run sat, coronals first from now on. Run coronals first. And if the do, if the, I call the dude patient a lot, I always do um, axials first. Yeah, axials. Well, you, we're taught that way because right. you line them up. Right. But if you have a nice enough scalp, whatever. Right. The the, the learning point <laughs> is. If a guy can't get all the way through the exam, or a woman or patient can't get all the way, your customer can't get all the way through the exam, run the coronals first. Because they can do a limited read. But if the supraspinatus tendon is torn, that patient has an answer, they're having surgery next week, they're back to work, and nobody really cares that the full protocol wasn't done. Right. I learned these things from Pat Rucker. And he kind of brought me behind the curtain. So step one, as far as I'm concerned, is connecting with the clinician, the radiologist, right. on a, we have a joint customer, which is the patient. What do you do to aid in that process? What do I do to aid in this process? Hey, it would help if I knew what a meniscal tear looked like, and it would help if you knew what antenna I used in there. Let's meet there. That was step one for me, Robert. Nice. Okay, because sometimes they don't know what the limitations of the scan, as far as patient's threshold and their tolerance and Right. Uh, that's, you know, that's where we definitely bring more to the table. It does help to work at a, a, a I guess, a, a, a hospital or university that is actually teaching because the people that I've noticed have been more willing to kind of share that knowledge are like people who are in their fellowship or, you know, doing a residency and they're learning. And as they're learning, they're explaining to us what they're learning type of thing. So I, I, I fostered a few relationships with some radiologists who were early in their career. And, and that's how I've learned a lot. But what it comes down to, too, is when you are, you know, having a conversation with a radiologist about an exam or something is asking those questions that you might see might be stupid questions. But, you know, it's those questions that you really need to get the answers to, because what it is, is that you need to hear things a certain way in order to really lock it in. And you need to understand what the rad needs in order to make the best choices when we're scanning these patients. Because when it's an ideal scenario, who cares? Right. But it's not always going to be ideal. 
you know? Right. So that's when it, that knowledge comes in handy. And it seems like such a no-brainer. Just you simply say connect. And that's really like such the simplicity of it, right? I mean, right. At the end of the day, that's what we need to do. We need to come together and form a game plan. And it doesn't, and sometimes it's patient specific and sometimes it's just pathology specific right. or, um, but it starts with coming together. Like you said, connecting, communicating, building those relationships. I'm curious as far as that goes, like what's your thoughts on like, you know, some facilities going to remote scanning for technologists and how do you think detrimental that might be to oh, relationships? Uh, <laughs> Hit him with a curveball. No, I, 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 I like business. I, you know, we live in a capitalistic society. Business right. evolves. And uh, why did we go to remote scanning? I, you I optimize. Got well, it's just not enough elite. There's not enough elite technologists who are confident with doing a lot of difficult scans. And because of that, these places that are more remote, you know, they need access to those type of people well, who have so that knowledge. Benefits, absolutely. You're talking about like specialty exams. So there might right. be a rural hospital that don't have an MR tech that can scan cardiacs. But exactly. yeah. if you can have somebody remotely scan it, that'd be awesome. But I don't see them only scanning specialty stuff. I see them doing the meat and potato stuff as well. Like it depends on what facility you're working for. Like right. the one that I know specifically here in the valley. Uh, my understanding is they're still scanning brains and lumbars and all these other things that aren't considered specialty. So, right. Um, it seems like more of a disconnect. We don't live in a vacuum, right? right. So it's dynamic. Right. There is a quality aspect of it for those specialty exams in rural environments is also an economical right. component. And that dominates in for-profit healthcare. And, you know, we don't have enough time to talk about yeah. for-profit healthcare with there's some, there's some things as a part of that, that are not in the best interest of a patient. But, you know, when you're scanning, there's a lot of downtime, right? And then you're looking at ESPN.com for a couple of minutes. <laughs> well, somebody had the thought, why don't I go? And now I got three going. Right. That makes great economic sense. Yeah. Now, we'll see. And, and, and you know, I have... To me, it seems like something would suffer. But uh. Well, I, I, I think that like anything else, the more things you're doing at once, um, the greater chance there is for a mistake. We, it remains to be seen uh, when that mistake happens, what the fallout will be. As long as the people that are observing those patients real time are trained in patient burns and these kind of things, I don't see any issue with it. And to Reggie's point, I think that you can get a more consistent, higher quality scan if you have the expert like an air traffic controller, yeah. right? Yeah. Looking at uh, so it remains to be seen, but the early adopters, I think my, my intuitive answer is they're going to make some mistakes. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to me how for the most part as a majority with MR techs, just, you know, you get a feel for the community. It's not, it doesn't seem to be, you know, welcomed with arms wide open as far as the thought to do remote scanning for MR technologists. And you think it would be just. Because at the end of the day, it would give us an opportunity. Do it in your pajamas, right? In his, hey. what yeah. is it, his Batman <laughs> pajama. You know, you it's have a Batman. onesie, but he called it pajama. <laughs> you have a onesie? Yeah, everyone should, right? Nope. 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 I'm not here to 
I think you should do what makes you happy, but I don't need a onesie. <laughs> yeah. You, if I did, I'd get one, Reggie. I just don't. Just I haven't gotten there. I yeah. got a Superman I know one. Somebody's getting for Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah, no, I had onesies as a kid, and I didn't think that they were very comfortable. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, oh, it's a comfort thing. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so clearly just connecting to step one. So, like, obviously from there, where do you go? Uh, I think that having an appreciation that it takes a team. So I'm, I've been super fortunate. Um, I played sports throughout high school. I played football in college. I was in the military, same as you, Reggie. So for as long as I can remember, I've been a cog in a wheel and there's an accountability aspect to being on a team. And since I already mentioned where I'm from, uh, I don't really hear an accent is the crazy thing. I've been gone 20 years. Okay. If I have a couple gin and tonics, you know, I can get there. (laughs) Yeah. Then it's like, order up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the aggressive nature comes out, and like this is the this Real is the polished standard. version of me that you're getting. <laughs> but I understand accountability because I've been taught accountability. Right. And here's how I see it: the radiologists go to school five times as long five times as long as the technologists, and they make five times as much. That's it. After that, we are equal team members. Being a professional is not an exclusive thing for doctors, lawyers, and pilots. Any occupation can be a professional if you hold particular mindsets. Right. We all know that. You, you go anywhere, you interact with any service person, whether it be a waiter or a flight attendant or anybody, right. and somebody comes at you with a smile and they are dialed in, and you're like, wow, right. that guy's dialed in. That's a professional. So understanding that we are equal professionals just like doctors, and by the way, I know many doctors who are professionals. I know some doctors who are the furthest thing from a professional. Same with technologists, same with medical assistants. If you want to identify silos in the superior, inferior, right. for-profit game, Name right? Names, do it. <laughs> yeah, it's there, we, we, categories that exist, right? But if you can understand that it takes the doctor, it takes the technologist, and it takes the medical assistant. It takes the service engineer, and it takes the guy that comes in and cleans the suite after we're gone. It takes the whole team. Right. I bring up where I'm from because I'm a football fan. Hey, Pats. And, and say what you want about the Pats. There is a culture there. It's not just a made-up idea that when you walk into that building, it's 11 guys pulling in the same direction. And if you're Tom Brady and you get all the accolades, well, Tom Brady's left tackle for many years was Matt Light during all of that. And Matt Light let Tom Brady stand back there and complete all those passes. No one walked around. No one got around Matt Light. Nobody in 10 seasons. And after him, it was this guy and this guy and this guy. And if you can understand that, yeah, the clinician is usually in a uh, a quarterback role. A quarterback role. And you can view yourself however you want. You're a linebacker. You're a tight end. Whatever you're at. Cowboy. What is it? Cowboy. I was going to make a Cowboy. Cowboy. Whatever it is. Because I feel like, and I don't know if this is true or not, but when a team wins a Super Bowl or maybe it's the NBA championship or whatever, everybody gets a ring, right? Like everybody, whether you're the, you know, GM down to the water boy, everyone gets a ring that's, you know, played their part on that team. So I I think that's a great analogy. I love that. But it's hard. It takes time. It takes effort. And if we just, one more football example, we just watched the Rams win the Super Bowl. Right. Sean McVay is a young guy. But all of his players say the same thing. We love Sean. He connects with us. You see the way he interacts with them. After a touchdown, he goes down and you know hits one of them in the chest. It's very atypical from a head coach. What is he doing? He's connecting with these guys. He's building trust so that they can subscribe to an overall vision of we're going here as a team. 
So it takes time. And how many times do we see mid-level managers in our field shut their door, check their emails, and they're not out there making sure that the radiologist is on the same page as the technologist on the same page. I mean, it's just not how we're set up. It's very fragmented. And we're getting more and more and more fragmented and specialized. Oh, for real. So that gets in the way of teamwork. Building a culture, a, a corporate culture, is a tremendous amount of work. And a lot of people think it's bullshit. Like, why would I build a culture? We need to make profits. Why do we need this? Yeah, you're right. So I think teamwork and accountability and having that understanding you know remember the days where our initials and maybe it's still the case our initials would be at the bottom of back when we printed films Mm -hmm. dating myself right (laughs) initials right and radiologists they hang up films all day looks nice looks nice and they look down look down look down my initials are rc 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 then they put one up there and it looks crappy and it says ag like oh yeah i I could tell rob didn't do this one (laughs) get the benefit of the doubt but if he sees my initials or she sees my initials at the bottom, they say, must have been an impossible patient because right. I know Rob. Yeah, hell yeah, That's how it used to work. <laughs> yeah. There was trust. They yeah. knew that we functioned as a team. And so. it goes both ways. Like we know who, which doctor is the one that you want to call in whatever scenario you want to mention. But um, I find it, I don't know, this whole thing I find really interesting, the psychology of it, of it all, because I think building relationships is really important. Like, for example, like, I, I don't know my experience, and I don't know if this is standard, but what I did towards the end of my uh, externship or clinicals when I was still in school is I was I had the opportunity to spend a week in each modality. Does everybody do that? Yeah. Okay. Well, rather than spending a week in mammography, <laughs> I actually got a chance to spend a week in the reading room with the radiologist. And I got to see, and he was, and shout out to Dr. Jones Cavanaugh, because he, he was uh, somebody who was happy to share his knowledge. And so to sit there with him as a sponge, just soak it all up, was really beneficial. So I, I understand the importance of like doing, I mean, it seems so simple, but a chest x-ray on expiration instead of inspiration sometimes and whatever, but um, I don't know. Understanding so, why though, right? Well, that's what I was getting to. Thank you, Reggie. You got me there. My ADD. <laughs> but understanding why. So you're saying like connecting and then like knowing that each person has a different role, but like understanding why each person's requesting whatever it is that they're requesting. Like, why is it that you want an in and out of phase and it's so important on an MSK protocol or whatever it is it may be? Or like you said in your case, why is it that the three minute delay is so important considered compared to like the one minute delay? Or That's right. Um, so just understanding why I think really encourages that growth of that relationship right Right. and it almost transcends just that scenario right because if you understand why it's beneficial for that situation then next time something like that happens you know you're already kind of thinking like the radiologist right you're like oh they're gonna want that in and out of phase they're gonna want this they're gonna want that so you're already like two steps ahead you know yeah that's right Right? saves you that phone call that page that takes time to get back or they're gonna want this in a short axis view right or you know just anything like you name it and so i see where are you going with that and how, again, I just keep saying how it translates to, at the end of the day, to patient care. And that's really what it's all about. And everything else. Uh, Simon Sinek's book, It Starts With Why, right? Yeah. He, he, he talks about investigate the why, sit with the why, and the what's and the who's and the how's. Those just come. And you can justify it. You know, I'm not scared to go into the MRI machine for whatever reason. Maybe it's I'm protected. I, I find some <laughs> peace in an MRI machine. Right. But I'm not everybody. 
And I know that going into an MRI machine in a confined, noisy area, never mind you're worried about your injury or your illness, is terrifying. That's how I felt on airplanes for a long time. Oh. So, again, it starts with why. Who do you want in your airplane when you hit birds and the engines go out? Ooh. Right? Right. You want that guy, Sullenberger. Right. Right? right. Sully. Yeah. <laughs> because, Sully. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, by the way, right. he hits birds and he's like, now it's on. Right. Wait till you see what I know. See, and I love oh, that. That's, yeah, me too. Uh, powerful. Man, you're yeah. so Because right. now you're, it gets noisy and you rise up. And that's what Y gives you. He know in, in, in the movie was brilliant that Clint Eastwood yeah, directed. Yeah, I love how they do that. At the that's end so where he serious. says, let's get serious. You know, they're running the yeah. simulations. He says, let's get serious. And they factor in an extra 18 seconds. And they realize nobody makes it back to the airport. Yeah. And he walks outside and he's like, I'm so proud of the way we handled it. It took all of us, he says. And he names the flight attendants. Like, that movie gets me all fired up. But I'm scared to be up there. So I'm watching for that stuff. And I, I've learned, because I am a fan of psychology, and I, I've never read a fiction book. Every book I've ever read is a nonfiction psychology book, and I'm writing one right now. We'll be done in April. Oh, that's awesome. Can't wait. What's the title? Did you name it? Uh, it's still work in progress? It's, it's called Buddhist Linebacker. Oh, Nice. And uh, I'm a football fan, and uh, I'm already intrigued by the title. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll we'll come back and we'll talk about that after April. Yeah, but that whole airplane in the Hudson River thing. When I board a flight, I need trust because I'm already uneasy. And there's a few different things that give me trust when I walk onto the airplane. And right or wrong, when I see an in shape, fifty year old pilot drinking his coffee like pilots do and he looks very pilot-like and they say pilot things like top of the morning son i'm like that's who i want up there that guy was in the military that guy woke up at 4 a.m he did his sit-ups right he's caffeinated he's 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 got it handled yeah every six months yeah everything right and that's also the guy that comes on with the perfect cadence and says, good morning, folks. We'll be flying at 31,000 feet. Smooth ride over to San Diego. They make it not even sound like a flight. Smooth ride over to San Diego. Like, we're just going over. Right. That's my guy. That's who I want up there. And I fly a lot nowadays. And you know what some pilots do? They don't do the airline announcement. They just skip it. Hmm. You know what I do? I wait for them. I let everybody get off the plane. No kidding. Oh, really? And I asked the flight attendant, hey, can I just, you know, say hello to the pilot? I've done it twice. Hey, how's it going? My name's Rob. I fly on American Airlines all the time. Just want you to know, you skipped the airline announcements. I look forward to those. I want to know how long I'm going to be in the air. I want to hear your cadence. I want to hear your delivery. I need to see competence. That's competence to me. That's somebody who's got it handled. Competence builds trust. You know what else builds trust? Clarity. I need to see competence and I need to be provided clarity. Right. And without those two things, you can't have trust. So when I put somebody in the four, I am looking competent. Everything I do is me thinking, how do I look at pilots? How do I look at flight attendants when it gets a little bumpy up there? They're trained not to react. They know we're looking at them. So when I'm putting an IV in or when I'm doing anything, I'm thinking to myself, they're watching me. I want to appear competent and I want to provide clarity. Next picture is this. you got 14 more minutes left. I'm going to come in and give you an injection. We'll do seven minutes more. The technologists who put patients in and don't talk to patients, they're out with me. Right. They get one shot at that. Right. Hey, you need to do that. And if they don't do it next time, I have no go. go. Right. 
you know what I've learned too about that situation is a lot of times they emulate who's training them. Like who, whoever they got trained by, if they notice that that person who's trained them don't ever talk to their patient, then I've noticed those same people will not talk to their patient. But then I've also noticed like people who have trained with people who are like, you got 10 minutes remaining, just like you were saying, they kind of emulate who's that person that they're kind of, you know, being trained by. So I think that goes a long way uh, for sure. Right. So who was Sully trained by, right? Well, uh, <laughs> probably some dialed in person. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I mean, I fly a lot in the regional jets, right? So you, when you fly American, you fly from Phoenix to Charlotte, Phoenix to DFW, you've got the 50-year-old former Air Force pilot. Oh, yeah. But then when you hop up to Providence or you go to smaller, smaller regional airports, place. you're on the Canadian regional jets, and that's Mesa Airlines, that's Piedmont, that's Skynet, whatever it is, It's I look up in the cockpit sometimes, and the pilots look like they're 24 years old, and I'm like, damn, damn. <laughs> I hope things go smooth today because I know he hasn't seen what Sully's seen. <laughs> right. He's going to, not taking anything away from him, but you, right. you know, the longer you live, the, 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 more, the more things you see. Yeah. And I know it's mostly automated, but when you hit birds up there, I want the 50-year-old up there. Right. That's a very good point. Not to say that wisdom is a function of age. Because right. it's not. We all know that. We all know that, especially in this industry. Because you can have someone who's worked only in an outpatient facility, scanning knees and spines, haven't really seen too much, and they've been doing it for 20 years, versus someone who's fresh out of school work that's these big hospitals and seen a whole lot, right? And they that's come right. with a new way of thinking and right. out-of-box thinking, for Super sure. There's value in that. You're so right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's value in experience, too. But like, I find with that sometimes, come, come, what comes with that is just being stagnant or... Uh, in a dynamic field or uh, always right. evolving. Right. And that's one of the best things. That's my favorite thing about MRI is the evolution of it, right? Like what we're doing today, especially when it comes to safety or even the technology of how fast we scan, things like that. What we're doing today is going to evolve. And then the, the safety and the aspects around that is going to change too. So it's like one of those things that is, if you can't get excited about this industry, <laughs> you got to look in the mirror. And I get excited. Man, that's like, right. right. For me, hidden hitting a flock of birds is like getting a patient with Parkinson's or something like, yeah, <laughs> like, okay, like bring it on. Uh, or <laughs> I don't know, like, uh, I don't, I, I gravitate towards the exams that others try to shy away against, but to me, it's the challenge that I enjoy the most. Um, there's a scenario uh, that I there's just, so much, uh, there's just so much satisfaction in that. Right, it is. Just get in an IV on a patient that says they always need an ultrasound. Right. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how I'm going to do it, right? <laughs> Challenge accepted. No, a good, like you were saying, a uh, good point to that was I had a case recently where literally uh, core compression or epidural abscess, we're, we're trying to make sure that uh, this patient didn't need to go directly to surgery or whatever their problem was. And she was in so much pain, she couldn't lay flat. You know, moving through, they gave medication, everything, um, and it, it was it was it was struggle. And with a spine coil, if you're not able to kind of think outside the box, if you don't go into solely mode, they don't want to wait on anesthesia. Yeah, you I know, like that. if you don't go into solely like mode, you know, it's it's like you're gonna you can't do the test. So I'm, I'm kind of looking around in the room. I'm like, all right, we're not gonna wait on anesthesia for this. She needs this now. What can I do to make her comfortable? I ask her, hey, how are you comfortable? Like, what position can you lay in? You know, how do you, how are you sleeping at night? And she's like, oh, I can lay on my side. So instantly I'm like, ooh, abdomen coil, boom. Let's let her get in her comfortable position and then I can work around her to get what we need. And, and you know, it's like, it's like the, 
the birds hit the engine. for cord compression? And this was, yeah, it was for epidural abscess, actually. Okay. Yeah, so it was a lumbar spine uh, with a body coil uh, or a phase array abdomen coil, I guess I should say. Just not to get confused with the inherent body coil. But um, it came out good. It worked out. The radiologist got what they needed, and she was able to move on and get the care that she needed without having to deal with waiting on anesthesia. Because when it comes to epidural abscesses and things with spinal cord, I mean, you're really on that clock, right? Time is a big thing. So I, I knew I didn't have time to uh, say, uh, you know, maybe we'll try again tomorrow morning, you know? Sure. You know, it was like, hey, Sully mode. All right, what can I do? You know, what can she do? Let's get this done. You know, so I love that, man. That's great. I'm also competitive. To me, it's like, uh, I, first of all, I just want to get the best exam possible. Right. And if a patient has priors, I'm like, all right. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, oh, let, let me see those. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It takes me back, <laughs> exactly. It takes me back to like x-ray when you'd be like, all right, why do you do a chest x-ray in two crosswise when I can do it in one lengthwise, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> Apices to the angles, girl. <laughs> Apices to the angles, girl. That's going to be the next album. <laughs> we're always coming out with new rap songs by the way rob you don't I'm trying to mix it up man tiktok we're trying to keep up with the young kids uh are you on tiktok reg you, hey thanks katie. To katie big shout out to katie she's got katie, what's your game plan what's for your, our tiktok whatever her name it's on three podcast we're zone three podcast oh three podcast. <laughs> yeah yes, super you. original yeah <laughs> go by mri katie on there though oh yes. nice big shout out to mri katie <laughs> the only social media I'm on is Venmo. Um, I try to make fun of myself when I'm talking to young people, and they're like, "Are you on social media?" But like, I'm on the Venmo. Uh, but uh, I'm not even on that. I'm Zell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. I'm on the Venmo. If yeah. you want to send the Venmo code over, I'll I'll put it up on the screen for the yeah. That, yep. Yeah. But uh, it's funny that you know the TikTok and all, all these kind of things. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that we are a nation of people, a world of people that is moving towards quick bites of information right. to connect this dot to this dot to this dot to this dot. Right. And it's in its shorter bite sized clips that are we're stringing together. Right. And in this business, we're moving in that direction too. Yep. And, you know, I've been the protocol guy for a long time. Rob, come fix my protocols. I hate that. I don't want to fix your protocols because I'm going to go fix them. And then you're not going to be able to use them for a myriad of reasons. And it's going to come out bad. And they're going to say that was Rob's protocol. And I want to shake those people. Uh, <laughs> because that's like, no, I, no, no, literally. No, no, no. I just want to grab them by their shoulders and shake them. Cause when you shake somebody, they tend to pay more attention because this, he's a protocol tech. <laughs> so he, I totally you, really you understand to him. Oh, I totally get that. what they're saying is put it on autopilot. Right. I don't want to think, well, what if you hit the birds? Right. Cause you're going to hit the birds twice a day. Yep. So, I understand why we want to have stereotypes and uniformity. We want to have things that we can just do this. They're, they're very useful. Right. But there are twice, two times a day where that protocol doesn't work. And if you don't know how, yeah. um, and they don't, many don't know. Many don't know that come from that, we'll just build protocols. And that's been a real challenging thing for me in my career. Uh, because, yeah, I'm there to optimize the protocols. But what I really look forward to is, is visit two when I come back when those protocols don't work. Hey, right. And then we launch into, hey, are you a professional? Right. Hey, have you ever read the system manual? Hey, do you, 
you know, yeah, right. and then you start uncovering. Um, for sure, they've been trained to push the buttons, and that's a real issue yeah. in anything, not just MR. No, for sure, and and that's it's a big thing. It comes back to training, right? Like, um, I, we have to look in the mirror when it comes to how how we're how we're training technologists, how how that process is going, who is training these people when they go to their first job, you know? Because I don't think that every technologist is fit to train someone who's brand new to the field. I'm curious, how do you think you identify those techs, like say in a job interview or something? Oh yeah, it's a great question. It's Dang. a great question. And it's, uh, you gotta be sneaky, sneaky. Yeah. Because there's less and less and less we can talk about in a job interview. Right. But if you're connected to people, you can sit with them and know where they're at. And yeah, you might not be able to ask, how is your self-esteem? How do you handle constructive criticism? When was the last time you took something from start to finish? Dang. You can't ask a lot of those questions. I understand that, but you can right. feel it. And we talked a moment ago about how you build trust, right? You need to prove competency and provide clarity. Well, I said that, right? Right. Maybe there's some other components of the trust process, but from a psychology understand perspective, I understand you build trust in professional settings by proving competence and providing clarity. You know, you go in to get your teeth cleaned, right? You want to see competence and you want clarity on how long it's going to be and when am I going to be out of the chair, right? Right. And you walk out of there and you say, that's a professional experience. Right. But for me, I've been in the classroom for as long as I can remember. So way back when, when I started, I was doing the register review course in all the West Coast cities. Uh, and then after that, I was a program director at a vocational school. Then I was at the university level. Uh, I've been in a multiple different classroom environments. And when I'm up there, it's only a matter of minutes before I get to my stick. <laughs> Which is, yeah, here's what you need to know technically. Okay, here's the anatomy, here's the physiology, here's the protocol, here's the science, here's the safety, dot, 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 dot. I get through it, and then I get excited. I'm like, okay, now you guys ready? Let's talk about self-esteem. And it's always that moment where, oh boy, where are we going with this? In my experience... Teaching about professionalism is exciting. I was in California. There's two vocational schools, one in Beverly Hills and one in Ontario. And they have everything there, nurses, x-ray techs, whatever. I was the MRI guy there. It's 2008 through 2011. And training them technically, right? You know, I take a lot of pride in that. I want the students leaving my classroom to be sullies. Right. And then we get reports back from the externships that say, you know, this tech comes in smelling like cigarette smoke, or this tech routinely comes in late, or this tech is cussing in the control room and everybody can hear it. And I started doing some inventory and it's like, yeah, that's got nothing to do with your seventh cranial nerve. That's got nothing to do. Right? Right. Nothing to do with receiver bandwidth. Right. And everything to do with who they are and how they show up. Right. So then I, <laughs> under the radar, because you get in trouble for this kind of stuff. Yep. This is a lockstep curriculum in a vocational program that has re regulatory agencies looking at it. What are you teaching? How many hours are it? How many hours are there? And I'm playing basketball with my students after class. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm not supposed to do that. Right. I'm meeting them for breakfast. I'm not supposed to do that. They're staying in my class two hours afterwards to talk about life. I'm not supposed to do that. Right. Because I introduced 
a book uh, called The Power of Professionalism, an author named Bill Wiersma up in Northern California. And he has the seven mindsets of a professional. And this guy went around the country and he talked to professionals in different fields. Uh, I'm adding this to my audio book. It's incredible. Right here. Nice. And he got the book right here, actually, Reggie. Check this out. Oh, they mentioned him in the book more than once. Actually, he was a main staple. Is this the one you were just talking about? No. No, so that's his sec- that's his third book. Oh. But uh yeah, thank you for that, Robert. Hit pause on that for one second. I- so, I started looking at professionalism books that I could add to the curriculum. I knew the owner of the school wouldn't allow it nor pay for it. So, I had 17 students, so I paid for 17 copies of The Power of Professionalism cuz I I I have an idea that this is what's missing. Right. So we start getting the anatomy and physiology and the protocol done. And then the last hour of class is emotional intelligence and professionalism and coping. These are things <laughs> I'm teaching under, with the door shut. Right. Uh, in Wiersma's book, The Power of Professionalism, he identifies seven mindsets of a professional. Um, Katie, that's one of the documents over there that I shared with you. Uh, it might say uh, Wiersma on it, but... He talks about things like professionals have personal values that transcend organizational ones. And that's real sexy language to me. <laughs> right? I read something like that oh, and I'm not. like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> right. You know, the people who really show up as a professional, that's hardwired in before this class ever started. So I would talk about these things and students would get fired up. But not all students. Not all students would get fired up, but Robert, now in that book, so this was his third book, The Power of Identity, which was a follow-up to The Power of Professionalism. Right. And I invited him out to the campus. I emailed oh. him and said, hey, I'm using your mindsets to teach these vocational students how to show up as a professional, and it's going really well, and he got right back to me. Where are you located? He was on a plane, met me, came out. We rebranded the entire school from that of knowledge builds careers to we graduate professionals and by the way they happen to be mri technologists wow so now the sites are like this is what the market needs we need professionals to show up drive value at the scanner interface with clinicians with confidence speak to patients with empathy we need problem solvers we need people that don't smell like cigarette smoke right and it went (laughs) it went crazy right but not every student signed on And then that was the next phase in the development of what came after that. I don't know if you don't mind if I'd like to read this one paragraph. It's signed and everything. Man. But it talks about like his experience when I think when he came and visited you, like you mentioned. um, Reggie, fill the dead air. Yeah. Talk about weather or something. Now <laughs> starts beatboxing. I do it that day. That's what feels right. That's what's you right. I'm saying it was natural. Yeah, just confirming yeah. stereotypes, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I'm ready. I'm sorry. And that air was filled though. All right. So anyway, so this is what the book says on page 194. Because the school's owner was so impressed by the change in the students. She asked the campus director to look into the situation so they might learn more about it. So the director assembled Rob's students, more than 40 of them, and asked how many of you would recommend the approach taken by Rob in the way he instructed your imaging course. And every hand went up enthusiastically. So, I mean, it's right there on paper. Yeah. In a book. In a book. A hard-covered book. 
<laughs> Honestly, though, that's like a has to be a very satisfying and very like uh, gratifying moment for you, to, as far as like you know where your place in all of this, in your vision, as far as your, MR right? education and everything. And everybody wants to feel good, right? Right. And I remember when I first started in this business, and I'm sure you too remember when you were driving to work, when you didn't really know what you were doing, and you knew that there was a difficult exam on for that day, and you have that pit in your stomach. Yeah, it's anxiety. It's anxious. Yep. Yep. Uh, for you, what was it? Man, I re- I remember when I first learned MRI, we we had like maybe one or two people who did cardiacs, and if they weren't working, and a cardiac order was ordered, all suddenly all the senior techs would come up missing. You know, so that's what it was for me. I was like, oh, man, I hope I don't get stuck with a cardiac that I haven't seen anyone scan. I've never done, you know. So one of those things that kind of helped me was like, all right, I went home and I started doing some Google. Thank God for Google, right? Doing Google search, trying to see, find all the information I could find out about how. That's your Sully right there. That's your Are done because I don't like that feeling. I hate that. And that's one of the reasons why I don't like conflict either. And it's because I don't like that feeling of uh, not being able to control the situation. You know, for me, if I'm being honest, it's probably a lot of my ego. Uh, I, the thought of being uh, uh, relieved by another tech because I can't do that oh, yeah. is, uh, I don't know, it's my ego. I have a real <laughs> problem with that. And, right. uh, and so I don't want, ever want to be relieved by another tech because I can't do it. Now, that happens often for the record. Um, but eventually that's what I'm hoping to get to is that I'm the one relieving others. Cause they, I mean, at the end of the day, we should all know it, but you know, there's a different train of thought on that too. And because it's brought up, I'll just give my thought on it. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you're, you're at a facility with 50 techs, there's some people that think there shouldn't be specialty techs that just do cardiacs. Everybody should know how to do cardiacs, but let's just say, for example, you're doing lymphangiograms, which we do at our facility. Uh, well, if you've got 50, set, 50 techs and you're only doing, I'm making up numbers, and you're only doing three lymphangiograms a week, that's not enough exams for all 50 techs to see and get efficient get at. Expert level. And yeah. so at the end of the day, you do need those techs who are, you know, doing those specialty exams. And so if you are one of those techs who want to be one of those techs, then squeaky wheel gets the grease and competency and clarity i'm just gonna that's right in the world of comedy they call that a uh yeah. a callback <laughs> a real sneak kind of like way to show confidence is asking the right question like doing research and then when you're like wanting to learn something right and there's something to that fake it till you make fake it, it, till like, you make it. Yeah, yeah. and honestly for me what how do i learn two ways a repetition and hands-on and so i right. need to see it i need to do it I need to do it a couple times. And once I do, I know I'm confident I can get through it. But um, And then from there, I want to do it as much as I can to, to get really confident. Because um, confidency, you know, it translates to competency. But you, you notice when it comes, and bringing it back to identity, everyone's not thinking like that, right? Like everyone's not starting an MRI podcast. It's kind of like the example I'm saying. Like you're, a lot of people aren't going home and doing that extra due diligence to you know make that step or to kind of understand things a little bit better because you're not going to always get it all at work you are going to have to go to some conferences you are going to have to watch some podcasts you know (laughs) you know sometimes you got to go that extra mile just to get over the hump to get that confidence that comfortability to have these conversations and you know put you in the right place in the career that you want to have well how do you bridge that gap with the the different you know factors or variables that come with it. For example, like I said, orient physicians, 
the technician or technologist. I just call it myself. Technician. Oops, sorry, right. everybody out there. <laughs> I call myself a technician. Uh oh, <laughs> backlash. <laughs> it just rhymed, so I went with it. Uh, but you know, and also the radiologist. Like, how do you bridge that gap? Like, I mean, obviously it seems so simple to just say, you know, start the conversation, right? But like, does that start at a management level? Like, do you need your management to really facilitate that change? Like how they're hiring people, um, or like how they're training people? Well, say you're at a facility where you feel like there's room for improvement there. And you think that like, you know, for example, like without naming names, every place I've ever worked, um, every every time I've given, been given that tour day one and you walk through the department, it usually ends at, at the radiologist reading room and you meet the, radi- the radiologist. At my current facility, to this day, I've been there three and a half years, I still have not seen any of the radiologists i mean as far as like in a in a in a a tour in that scenario where i was i was never introduced to one radiologist sure other than if they came through the department and somebody and i said who's that and somebody's another tech said oh yeah that's dr so-and-so you haven't met him uh i mean i've I've never been introduced and there's in my defense i was (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't there to do that but there's a disconnect there right um when you put in and you can put a face to a name um and you can understand why, which is what I mentioned before. With that, be, can grow from that, like you said, competence, like under, or, or just identifying that competence between the two, and from that comes clarity. And I don't, I don't know. I'm just. So how to, do we kind of bridge that gap, pretty much, right? Yeah, like how do you, how do you, like, how do we start off on the right? Well, we said what the step was to get there, but we never really talked about like. You know who's responsible at the end of the day for like right. implementing change so i love this and i guess it depends on where you're at within your organization just from a hierarchy standpoint right when i owned imaging facilities the radiologists that we contracted with were kind professional people i've worked for companies that i didn't own where I worked with those type of radiologists and other type of radiologists, those type of techs, other types of techs, and all the way throughout the, uh, the health system. When I hear technologists complain about their working conditions time and time and time again, I start to think that the unrest lives within them. Remember, I'm a psychology guy. Right. So if you're Dang. complaining every single day about how bad the work conditions are, my question would be, why do you still work here? Because we do have options. Right. Especially and now. Especially right? now. And this part of the conversation is headed now towards what I think is the secret sauce behind all of the connections that we need to make and all of the ideas about professionalism and teamwork and technical competency, and that is self-confidence. And uh, I'm one of the lucky ones. I was brought up in a nice house. Um, with siblings that checked me if I wasn't doing the right thing. Right. Uh, in athletics, I had coaches that told me when I was deficient. I, in the classroom, um, I've surrounded myself with people who tell me, Rob, that's not, that's not it. It's not PC, bro. Well, it's just, it's just you're better than that. Like, right. that's where you're at, oh, and you nice. could do much better than that. You need somebody like to hold that. you accountable. That's right. So I have developed an adequate amount of self-confidence along the way to the point where I, I look at it as my job, Robert, 
you say whose job is it, whose role within the organization is it to build that culture and make that connection, I will walk in, you know, I do a lot of training where I'm there for a week. And before we do anything at the scanner, I say, where are the rads? And they look at me like, why? I'm like, where's the radiologist's office? I want to go introduce myself. I want them to know who I am, where I'm coming from, what my goals are, and where they can reach me over the next week. And they look at me sometimes like, that was amazing. I've never talked to him. He's so what scary. What a badass move, too. <laughs> <laughs> what a badass move, too. <laughs> and that's when, I, yeah, I, that's when I, I, I pause because I like to meet people where they're at. Right. And I say, listen, they play the superior-inferior game sometimes. Right now, you're playing the inferior-superior game, and you're training them how to treat you. Walk in there as an equal team member. Absolutely. Introduce yourself and let them know that you are here to give them exactly what they need. And as part of that, I'm going to need to ask you some questions from time to time. I love what you said earlier. When I was young, I would sit behind Pat Rucker and I would watch him dictate case after case after case after case. And after six of them, I could tell you what a meniscal tear looked like. I could tell you if it doesn't go all the way to the surface, it just looks like a meniscal tear. ACL tear is easy. Collateral ligament tear is easy. Ligament tear is easier. Um, hemangioma versus metastatic lesion, easy. Right. And all throughout the body, I can do it. And it wasn't just about knowing how to do it. It was about so I could go back to the scanner. And when you have a six foot seven athlete come in and they say it's a hamstring study, and we know that you can't look at the entire hamstring. Yeah. Where's it hurt? <laughs> they point under their ass. You know that it's torn from the origin. If they point to their knee, it's at the distal insertion. Right. And now what do you do? You do a large field of view study, long plane, bright fluid sequence. You show from the point where it's torn from all the way to where it's normal. And I would pass in a three-quarter hamstring, high-resolution study, and everything they need. And other techs would say, we have to do the whole hamstring. And I would get frustrated with them and just quit <laughs> being inferior. Right. Stop it. You are lowering the total vibration of our entire industry. Stop it. Understand the why. And from the why, you can do all of this, but you can't do it without self-confidence. And it's hard to teach self-confidence. Right. Right. And I think, too, even with some of the most even advanced technologies, you can be comfortable up to a point, but there's still this hint of imposter syndrome. And I have to give a shout out to, for people who don't know what imposter syndrome is, we'll kind of get into that. But I have to give a shout out to Jamie Lasseter. I did an applications training uh, last year, a year before maybe, and uh, kind of did a personality test. And, you know, imposter syndrome came up and I'm like, oh, all these symptoms sound pretty familiar, you know? All these years, I've just been faking it till I made it, you know? <laughs> you know, like, you know, but it's one of those things where even, even when you know what you're doing, you're in the back of your head like, do I really know? Like, because we, we're really dealing with some difficult concepts when it comes to MRI, right? Some things that you really, it's hard to literally visualize in your head of how these things are actually working. So when someone asks you a question and it's kind of hard to get the words out, even though I can imagine and I can see how it works, I can kind of, I, I know how it works, but I just, it's tough at me to explain it. Um, it gives, it kind of hurts my confidence a little bit because it's like, man, why can't I know how this works? Why can't well, I tell a, people what's up here? You know, like. There's a quote that I love, but I don't know if I believe. I don't think I do, but it's, it's apparently an Albert Einstein quote that if you can't explain it to a six year old, then you don't truly you understand don't it yourself. Understand it, right. And it's funny, it's funny because literally since we started this podcast and what I've noticed is sometimes it's just a matter of hearing it a certain way. 
in order for that light bulb to kind of go off. And I know we kind of talked about that in the last episode, but it's really what it comes down to. It's like you have to be able to foster these conversations with experts. You have to be able to, uh, you know, be okay with, be confident enough to ask the questions that you don't want to ask. And be humble enough to be open to learning and growing as a tech. Uh, I mean, you know, I've been a technologist for a while now and I have my own MRI podcast, but we just recently had a, uh, a guest on Matt uh, Hayes and he, he described, and I understand it before, don't get me wrong, but he described recovery time in a way that he painted it, that made it so simple. That you could just visualize. Yeah. Right? I was like, oh, wow. Like, uh, that, I don't know. That type of stuff builds confidence, right? Like when you can explain how it works like like you're saying like albert einstein's quote like when that, that builds confidence when you can't it kind of hurts no matter how how good you are at the job it's still kind of like uh do i really know you know like i don't know it's one of those things where i feel like confidence is a big part of the gig you got to be able to have confidence when you're doing these things or you're not going to want to swing big to hit that home run for the patient who needs you to go into solely mode um but where does it start it i guess it starts really with me it started with asking the questions right going above and beyond and not really above and beyond, but like being willing to be like, okay, I got to Google this because uh, I wasn't able to explain this to this person who's asking me as an expert, you know? So how can I better explain this? Even though I kind of understand how it works up here, I need to be able to break it down for people. So that has helped me out a lot. I like that. Yeah. There's a, I like the quote. That is a good quote. Because I think I could describe MRI to a six-year-old within three or four sentences. That's okay. <laughs> Of course I'm going to call you out on it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, doctors don't have x-ray vision. So we use machines to look inside the body. The MRI sees different things than the CAT scan, than the x-ray, than the mammography machine. Fundamentally, with the MRI machine... We're looking for fluid. It's the tissue of interest in MRI. Fluid accompanies disease and injury. When we can find fluid in parts of the body that doesn't normally have that fluid, it's a red flag. Then we look at the red flag closely. We compare it to millions of images that have been done before that are in books. And we narrow down to what it is and we report back to the referring clinician what's wrong with the patient. Okay. I'm gonna I like it. <laughs> I'm gonna cut that clip right there I know, right? to my seven year old son. <laughs> we'll get back to you. <laughs> to this day. I was like, so daddy uses magnets, right? And I look inside of people. <laughs> There's these things in your body that spin. They still think I'm a doctor, which I'm okay with. <laughs> but that is helpful because if you can review the basics of your profession at least once a year. I didn't say that. Dave Kikich said that. You know, we get so tangled with protocols and risks and packs and everything that's going on. Right. We take pictures. That, yep. Hey, did you know that those images didn't get back to the doctor? Did you know that the fax server didn't send the report? Hey, if we're not telling the doctors what we saw, just shut down the operation. The only thing we had to do today was take a picture inside the body and tell them what we saw. Right. If we don't get that done, what are we doing? So I think having that level of understanding, whether you call that a macro understanding, right. I think it's helpful because then you can critically think within it. But if you don't have that macro level understanding, you get in the weeds of it and you say, oh, I need a T1 this, I need a T2 this, they right. like gradients. Forget all that. Exactly. 
have you, you know, so I think it can be helpful. Right. Yeah. And actually, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I just recently did a presentation on the, and what I like to call the common sense of MRI, where you do an action and you get a reaction, right? Like, do you need to know, you know, transverse magnetization in order to understand that a high TR, a high TE is going to get you a T2 weighted image, right? It's, it's the common sense aspect of MRI. And I, you're right. It's, it's, it's like, uh, I opened that presentation up with this uh, analogy of fireworks, right? Everyone, does anyone know how the physics of a fireworks work? No, no one knows, right? But you sure. know, if you like this fuse, you're gonna get this reaction of whatever's on the wrapper said it's gonna do, right? And in the end, that's really what we're doing. We know if we like this fuse of the TR or whatever parameter we're manipulating at the time, we're gonna get a reaction. And if you don't get what you're looking for, then that's when it comes in handy to understand the physics behind that process, right? Um, so you're so right about that. I think that, that it's, it's huge to kind of understand what I like to call the common sense, because that builds that foundation that you need to level up to the understandings of everything else, right? You can't be a real an advanced technologist before that, I don't think. You gotta be able to understand what a T1 weighted image looks like. For sure. <laughs> right. And you guys brought up an interesting point a minute ago, which is, you know, how does it feel when we don't know something? Right. Well, I mean, I'm a consultant, right? People say I'm a expert. All that means to me is I have an obligation to try to understand the things that I see. Because yeah, if I st sit on one magnet and I'm doing the same thing every day, I'm pretty competent. Then you move over to this magnet and it takes extra competence. Well, I'm a consultant. So I get hired to go to universities where they're using high intensity focused ultrasound. Hey, hey. I've never seen anything that's ever looked like that. And I walk wow. into a room and I have my oh shit moment <laughs> where they hired me. I've never seen this before. Right. I figured out a while ago that my job is not to know everything Correct. because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know anything. Yep. My job is to be committed to understanding and using my experience and ideas to help them do what they're doing. And oftentimes that's collaborative. I love when I go into a place and they say, hey, Rob, how do you do this? And I look right at them and say, I, I have no idea. And they have that moment. Well, then why are you here? And then I show them why I'm here. Nice. Let's figure it out. Right. Now let's bring our experience together. Let's be professionals. That to me is what an expert is. Nice. I like that. Yep. <laughs> you know, normally we, uh, we save a certain question for the end, but I want to ask it right now. Because <laughs> we don't know when the end's coming today. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. It might be a long one. <laughs> yeah. You know which one I'm going to go with? Mm, the the same one. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm super curious. Like, so far in your career, what has been the most satisfying or rewarding moment? So, let me change gears on you. Thank you. Is this vodka? <laughs> Mostly water. Um, there was a uh, Major League Baseball team physician who contacted me and said that he wanted to build an MRI facility in Boca Chica, Dominican Republic. Oh, okay. And um, as part of my experience, I've built radiology facilities from A to Z. And I've learned a lot along the way. A lot of accolades you've got. I mean, oh, you're a very yeah. impressive resume, basically. But keep going. Your uh, I'm, single, I'm, I'm single without any children. So I've, 
I've spent a lot of time you, on so the you've career got a side. Nicer savings account is what I hear. <laughs> well, you know, I've got two kids and a mortgage. <laughs> I'm single too, so yeah, right. you know, just because you make money, you learn how to spend 105 percent of it. Different. Dating could be very expensive. Trust me, I know. Uh, he he was um, convicted on what he wanted to do. He wanted to build an MRI facility in a third world country. All right. And from the beginning, I had owned and operated several MRR facilities. I know how hard it is to make money. It's a heavy fixed cost business. And that meter is always running. Right. He And his intentions were to get better images for this Major League Baseball team because they had to look at the elbow and you know, all the stuff that they have to look at. I said, let's go about it a different way. So we went down there. We found a couple of MRI facilities, speak Spanish only. Uh, I'm not, my Spanish is not great. Un poquito, <laughs> right? Ramo Roberto. <laughs> and uh, six months later, three visits down to the Dominican Republic. Um, I found a radiology company, went to several dinners, signed an agreement to be able to use their excess capacity for these Major League Baseball players. They would come in. It was an affiliate of a Major League Baseball team, the minor leaguers, because down there in Boca Chica, every baseball team has an academy down there where they grow baseball players. Uh And so what we did was we contracted with this facility. Can we have it from these hours? Local radiologist here, you guys would recognize her name, high quality MSK rad. I went down there, loaded all of her protocols. Um, I trained their technologists on how to do them. We went down there with uh, ancillary MRI equipment, um, eight channel were there certified techs down there? There were. Or did you have to recruit from? They they, they were a functioning MRI clinic. Oh, but nice. let's just say it's not like it is here. Right. Okay. Um, starting with the insulation in the room, the technologists wear headphones in zone three because it's that loud. So there are the differences you would expect going from the United States to Boca Chica, Dominican Republic. Right. It's poor down there. So um, to make a long story short, he wanted this, which was a tremendous amount of risk. And I said please do it this way and we did and that's a flourishing practice more than made his money back providing the service that they needed and that was me um leveraging my experience and self-confidence and relationships to be able to build him what he wanted but without the heavy lift of a high-risk venture so that was super rewarding to be able to he hired me and i gave him that Robert, that's me trying to be out of the box and answering your question. And uh, my favorite thing will always be to connect with people. My favorite thing will always be to come into somebody's orbit right. and have them grateful that I was near them. That's powerful. Yeah. And as a process of that, or the process of that being, they think that they can do things that a few minutes ago they didn't think that they could. Right. In unlocking that, um, you know, is MR my passion? Absolutely not. It is. is? It's the persona that I wear. I already told you I picked x-ray. I got bad grades in high school. I picked x-ray because it seemed cool. And before you know it, I have 23 years in industry. But MR is not my passion. I have a lot of respect for it. My passion is connecting with people. The beauty of that is you can do it in any industry, right? Right. I talk about T1 and T2, right? But if I was in the airline industry, I'd be talking about thrust and lift. I'd still be connecting with people. I'm here to connect. I like it. So I that think, is the most rewarding. 
I think that's what we take from this podcast is how we've connected with our audience and how we've, I don't know, create kind of a relationship. We like it when we're, in, we're, we're finding them engaging with us, right? which happens often. We love it. To your point, it's Murphy's though, law. But keep I, going. <laughs> I think I, I do think that uh, one of the biggest reasons why we started a podcast is the sharing of information is powerful, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know that you smell like cigarettes until someone tells you you smell like cigarettes, right? You don't know that you're not a professional until you you know you see either what a professional looks like or you know until you're in that mindset of oh this is how I should be doing this maybe this is the right thing that should be doing. So, uh, yeah, man, psychology, huh, man. Right. The power of professionalism, the power of identity are incredible books. Um, definitely getting them. But throughout that journey for me, yeah, in the book it says all 40 hands went up. Right. Because they asked the question. But between us, just us three, <laughs> those 40 students, there were 11 in there that were duds. All right. Now, what makes them a dud in the context in what I'm talking about? Well, when I would talk about professionalism, their spirit would lower. Imposter syndrome. Right. They didn't feel worthy of being a professional. They thought it was an exclusive club for a white collar person. Right. Whatever their construct was. That's right. Their their belief. Yeah. I mean, I experienced it, you know. Well, we got the actual actual definition. So imposter syndrome is loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud disproportionately affects high achieving people who find it difficult to accept their accomplishments many people or many question whether they're deserving of their accolades so i mean we, pretty much what we said but um i mean i i, I think it's huge and and just the build I, what i joked on. about and maybe i shouldn't say this you should say <laughs> in <a> public forum <laughs> you should say but i remember back when i was in my early 20s and i remember knowing my capabilities knowing my potential knowing what I felt my worth was, but at that point I hadn't graduated a college or anything like that. And, and if you'd known me at the time, you wouldn't think that I had a, I was on the right track in life basically. But, um, I remember thinking, you know, my resume doesn't reflect who I am. I feel like I'm better than my resume, but now I feel like just the opposite. <laughs> now I feel like the resume makes me look very good. <laughs> Maybe a little bit better than I am. But. The resume lists your what's. Uh, your experience. Your what's. Your what's. Not your who's. That's true. All oh, right. And you can list what you've done, but it's harder to list who you are. Right. I think that imposter syndrome comes downstream from what I call the master complex that we all share. Can we can we get can oh, we go let's, deep? Let's get deep. Let's get, deep. Hold on. let's get doing some UFO stuff. Let's do this. <laughs> Katie, can we move away from TR and T E for a minute? <laughs> we'll we'll save that one for another time. Okay. But uh I promise another time. But the master complex is feeling like you're not enough. Right. We all share it, we go into it, low vibration, whatever it is. When I was doing that vocational training to those students, and I told you 11 of them were duds, they're not duds as people. They're just duds where they're at, where they were at. And where they were at was feelings of not being enough. So when I would talk to them about professional mindsets, 
they felt like frauds. They didn't feel like they were worthy of that. So you guys are going to love this. I reached out to a gentleman named Bob Reisner, and he was the superintendent of schools in Palo Alto, California. And he wrote a book about self-esteem. And he was doing it at the elementary school level. And here I am at the vocational school level. But I figured there wasn't a big difference between elementary school in adults in vocational school from a self-esteem perspective, because that's not taught. So there's no linear accumulation of self-esteem. I feel like it's all fundamental, essentially. Fundamental how? Well, you're talking about like it's the same things that would apply at an elementary age, right? Would still apply as an adult. That's right. And if you're not paying attention to those things, they don't automatically get better. As a matter of fact, you can oh, argue no. that those things that are ignored get very hairy and rough around the edges. And you look back at them, it's like having a boat, you know? Right. You have a boat and you haven't, you know, taken care of it. You go down there in eight months and the boat's, you know, it doesn't look like a boat anymore. You have right. to, it has to be in your conscious attention. So another guy like Bill Wiersma picked up the phone right away. Hey, Rob, nice to hear from you. I think he was in his 80s at that point. And I was like, hey, Bob, uh, I'm trying to learn more about self-esteem. He couldn't believe it. I don't think anybody ever called him to ask him about self-esteem. <laughs> I was he like, I made his day. And we and talked. You know what? You built his self-esteem. But keep going. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. And I said, listen, I said, can you teach it? And we started talking uh, for, for probably half an hour. And I went back and he has a famous idea. And his idea is... Self-esteem comes from competence and worthiness. Okay, so I get competence. We all get competence. We want to be able to do a dynamic study. We want to be able to do the limp angiography studies. We want to do car. We feel competent. We know how to taxi, take off, land, bumps. We know how to, we are competent, Right. right? We can teach competence. We do teach competence. We measure competence. We brag about competence. We list our competence on your resume. What I've done. I'm competent. Hire me. Right. Nowhere on there does it say, hey, this is how I handle this. Right. Hey, when things get noisy, I get quiet. I don't care about the acquisition of knowledge. I'm a perpetual learner. Those things don't show up on resumes, but those things deal with worthiness. So we talked and we talked and we talked and I said, oh, shit. Uh, competence is only half of self-esteem. I have to talk about worthiness with students. That's when I'd shut the door. Because if any administrator walked by my classroom and they heard the things we were talking about, I would have been let go. Oh, really? How do you talk about worthiness in an institution where everything is based on categories, what you've done, where you're going, linear processes? How to look worthy, really. Really, the social game. Right. The social you're, game. I would say like it's directly proportional. Like your your worthiness is directly proportionate to your desire to learn, I would think. Okay. So let's sit with that for a minute. Or your desire to be worthy. Maybe. Well, well hold on, hand, Reggie. Hand in hand, right? You're saying that if you have a desire to learn, that should positively impact your worthiness? Yeah. Good. I'm glad. I agree completely, and that's been my experience. And that's why when I go to a facility where I see HIFU for the first time, high-intensity focused ultrasound, <laughs> I act. I don't need to act like I've seen it. I turn right around with a big smile a minute after I get there and say, what is that? <laughs> I do it for two reasons. Number one, I believe that. Number two, I want to see them. I want to I see where they're at. Because if they get nervous that I'm asking what that is, then... Well, I got to play that social game. Right. But if they say, 
wow, that's funny. You've never seen it and you're here to teach us? Then I know I got a real person. We can connect on that. I can't agree more with what you just said. If you have a commitment to perpetual learning, what would you ever feel unworthy about? Dang. Ever. Ever, yeah. It's impossible. If you say, no, I don't know that. I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. Tell me about it. And then you read an article and then you try it and then you read another article and then you try it. And then Reggie says, hey, do you know about high Oh, I know a little bit. Let me show you what I know. That's the process. And you're always going to be in that process. There's never going to be a time where right. you know anything. Right. And by the way, the people who think they know, those are the most dangerous people. Right. You yes. hear that. It's an overly egoic idea. I've been doing this 20 years. Whenever I hear somebody tell me how long they've done something, I know they don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know right away. Because that's a defensive, egoic, yeah, I'm not enough statement. Right. That's a lack of worthiness. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know it's crazy because I've been doing this for 10 years now at this point, and I still feel so <laughs> he just young. Did it. <laughs> I feel he just so, did it. I literally feel so young in my career. No, but he did that in a different way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, do it. Like, I, I still I feel so to God, you guys, I, 10 years. I was, no, because the only reason why I could remind me, me right? I was bringing it up about, uh, you know, I you know, I'm, I'm so young in my career. I'm thinking about maybe going the education route or whatever. You know, like how long have you been doing it? And I said 10, 10 years. And it's like, oh, you're you're young in your career. And I, it kind of made me think. It's like, I feel I still feel young in my career at 10 years in. But I guess to some people, that's you know, oh, I should be a vet by now. But in my head, I'm like, oh man, well, I feel like I'm just getting the engine going. Like there's so many things I still want to do. Yeah. And I think that's why I feel so young. I'll give these vet techs and say, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. And I'm thinking, in an industry that evolves so quickly, to say that you've been doing the same thing for 20 years is <laughs> not a convincing argument. It, d- it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. No. Yep. And if anything, it's it makes me see you in a different light. You're right. Yeah. I've never bragged about how long I've been doing it because it's just, to me, it's nothing to brag about. I don't about. really. Well, it's like when you're, yeah. It's like when you're younger. Once in a while, you'll get a patient and you're like, all right, well, let me think about it. Uh, (laughs) You know when you're younger and you brag about how many beers you drank, right? Because you want to be cool. Right. Then when you get married, you start lying about how many you drank in the other direction. (laughs) Right? Right. (laughs) I play basketball on Thursday nights in this hack men's league. And this guy in the other team last week was, you know, mouthing off. He's like, I played college ball. Where'd you play? And I got close to him. I go, I didn't play. I was like, and by the way, don't tell people you played college ball. Let somebody find that out. Oh, right. <laughs> it's way better that way. <laughs> this is basketball, you said? Yeah. Where do you play? It's Tempe. It's oh, a no. little men's league. It's just a bunch of old guys running around trying to be okay. Right. And, and I love it. And I'm Old but, guys that play with their hands and not their feet. I used to play against you guys, but I'm one of you guys now. Ah, dang it, I'm one of you guys. <laughs> I want to get into like a... Well, think, whatever. That's a different conversation. I think that's a good quote, though. You're right. It's 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 better to show that you're good than to be trying to say, "Hey, I've been doing this for ten years. This is why I am a good technologist." Because you got to for me, if you, you got a good me. wingman, that's when they'll jump in and say, "Hey, did you know?" Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, did you know? <laughs> that's yeah. why. <laughs> Back when I was younger and in the bars, uh, there was three of us: myself and my two buddies. But it would look like there was two of us. Because one guy would hang back, uh-huh. and we would start talking to some pretty girls, and the third guy would come in and ask us for our autograph. This is in 97, oh, 98. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> and then, of course, I would act humble when they asked us who we were. I really sell the lie. <laughs> so I'd be like, hey, man, can I get your autograph? I don't mean to impose. I'd be like, hey, man, no big deal. And I'd scribble something down. And then she would say, who are you? And I'd be like, forget it. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. I did that one time, actually. I That's good, right, Katie? You would have fallen for that? Yeah. yeah. 
One time I pretended to be a famous DJ. DJ Boom is what we called ourselves. DJ uh, shout out to Pat. Nice. <laughs> he knows who he is. What's up, Pat? <laughs> is Pat listening? You got DJs listening uh, to the MRI podcast? Not. Of course not. This is yeah. a boring podcast for my friends. <laughs> my friends are like, okay, now what? Explain MRI. You talk about what now? I'm like, yeah, just never mind. <laughs> we have an audience, a target audience, and my friends from high school. <laughs> Don't really MRI texts and my buddies from high school. Yeah. They like to goof on me. <laughs> yeah. That whole worthiness thing yeah. is a real thing. It's somewhat clunky to talk about, yeah. but it's a everyday, it's it's not static. Right. It is, I woke up today with a certain amount of worthiness because I was coming on here to talk to you guys, right. and I'm having a ball. I was vibrating high from the moment I got out of my bed. Nice. Tomorrow, I might it might be different. And knowing where you're at with your level of worthiness is important because that self-awareness will will kind of check how you show up as a professional. We don't always have, you know, high days. Right. But it's amazing how much that impacts what we do as MRI technologists. Right. And I, I walk into these sites and I do my thing and they say, aren't you scared? And aren't you? No, I'm worthy. So are you. <laughs> That's exactly. I'm worthy. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think, I know for sure, worthiness builds on confidence, right? Like you need to have that sense of worthiness when you go into certain situations um, so that you have the confidence to kind of pull it off. You play a pivotal role in how other people feel about themselves. We all know this. Oh, yeah, for sure. You walk into a room, you're either a plus or a minus. You can't be nothing. Right. And over the years, you learn how to meet people where they're at. It's one of my favorite expressions. <laughs> Meet people where they're at. Well, I'm still taking back. If that really resonated, you're either positive or negative. Or a minus, you said. But. You're, well, you're either plus or minus. You're you're not nothing. Right. It changed. Interesting. Yeah, because the big part of how your day is going to go in a workplace, especially when you work with a lot of people, are who the people you work with. Right? That's right. And when you meet people where they're at and you don't try to move them to where you're at, oh, right. it helps them feel worthy. And you said it a moment ago, and Bob Reisner came up with it, that superintendent who wrote the book on self-esteem. Self-esteem comes from being competent and feeling worthy. So if you just drown yourself in knowledge acquisition, I want to learn everything. I want to learn everything. I know guys like that. I know women like that. Reggie. Reggie. <laughs> I, I got a you. lot of hobbies. <laughs> I know people who amass massive amounts of technical competence, right? But they're not worthy. Reggie is worthy. <laughs> and because of that, they have low self-confidence. And they'll tell you how much they know. We know those people. Oh, right. right. For the record, Reggie is very humble. I feel like I have to throw that in there. <laughs> Reggie's humble. Trying Reggie's to be a cool. Man. Reggie yeah. smiles. At Reggie, you smile a lot. Oh, I do. That's number one That's sign of... That's because he has of... whiter teeth than me. <laughs> That's true. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, yeah. You can trust you me, but smile a lot. I brush oh, my teeth yes. every day. What's the trick? I've never done Crescent White Strips. I don't know. <laughs> Shout out to our sponsor, Crescent White Strips. <laughs> That's a good sponsor. <laughs> what is the trick? Gosh, I've got, like, you know these people. They've got, like, like amazingly white teeth. And you're like, what is it? Yeah, some brush teeth are teeth more porous than, than others. Right. So some teeth uh, absorb stains quicker. Uh, mine are like that too. Thank I gotta go and get my teeth cleaned a couple times a year, and so I feel a little bit better about lattes. myself. <laughs> yeah. Besides, you can't have everything, bro. If you did, what would be the fun in that? Uh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate you. Yep. 
<laughs> it's, it's spoken true by uh, two, the, the two single guys in the room. <laughs> Can I? Now, I'm not big in the plugs, but I want to yeah. tell you, I got about a year left in this. You know, so you I, mentioned that earlier. Can I just say, ah, heartbreaking, and I'll tell you immediately why before you jump into it. Because you're going to say something nice about me right now, right? Your contribution to the industry, right? Right, and your competency, which comes from your worthiness, right, is you know superior to the majority and so for you to remove yourself from that is is doing the industry a disservice you have such a great perspective and it's how you view it how you want to see it and it's ah, it's just it's just very unfortunate for those that are wanting to you know who's just getting started right but you're laying down that groundwork right you're still you're still gonna be around. I right? mean, we'll take that talk, we'll take podcast? that baton, Rob. We'll take that baton. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I mean, you were faster than anybody with it. You were Usain Bolt, right? <laughs> so don't let go of it. My point is, is like uh, I don't know. I for me, it's just like if you're really good at anything and to stop doing it, it's just it's unfortunate. I heard your compliment and thank you. There's about. 37 or 38,000 MRI technologists in the United States. Is that right. about right? Yeah. But for you to stand out is we a compliment to, to you. I mean, uh, and, and I appreciate your words. There's 40,000 yeah. MRI technologists in the United States. Right. There's roughly 330 million Americans and 8 billion people worldwide. Let's call it 4 billion guys, approximately. Right. I'm going to move from radiology into men's health. Primarily mental health. Um, That's a good transition with what you did with, you know, your studies in psychology and everything. Well, so. I, I, I found a love for Huge. that in my radiology journey, so and that led to philosophy. And I want to interface with men who are looking for more peace in their lives. And that's what the book's about. Uh, what uh, days are you available, Rob? <laughs> 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 yeah. Can yeah. I call you at 2 in the morning? <laughs> call me anytime, Robert. Call me anytime. So uh, the linebacker. Where linebacker do I start? Buddhist, Buddhist linebacker. Buddhist yeah, yeah. Linebacker. We'll talk about that next time. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Hold so I'm moving from a market of 40,000 um, professionals right. to 4 billion right. men who I think need to talk about some of these things. And I am not a know-it-all, right. but I am a catalyst to those conversations. And that's my pull. Uh, so I started radiology when I was 19. I'm 44 now. And what do you? I, what do I got? you know, 28, 30 years left, if everything goes perfectly, I'd like to spend the majority of those years talking about uh, the things that really move me. Right. Um, which is, and I'm grateful that we've talked about a lot of those things today. So, yeah, I'll, I'll gladly give you guys the baton and you guys carry it for as long as you want. And uh, before you know it, you're going to be doing worthiness podcasts anyway. Yeah, right. And I'll come, <laughs> and I'll come back on because all roads lead to being worthy. Right. <laughs> doing the I'm work. I'm on that. I, I, yep. I can only agree. Man. Well, I appreciate your passion. I pr- I, you have this, by the way, and I mean this complimentary, I noticed that you have the same cadence as Dr. Cannell. So I love Manny. Let me right. say that. Uh He's done extraordinary things, and he's got balls of steel. Right, and I love that he comes from an. It, I love that he comes from a. What can we do? What can we do? You should be doing this. Scan this. He is. Right. He he is a proponent of giving people what they need and answers, and I love that about him. Um, 
Yeah, that's a compliment to be mentioned in the same breath as Manny. Manny has done what he's done on a clinician level. I've done what I've done on a technologist level. I think we'd like each other a lot. I asked him a couple of questions at the MRSO lecture that he answered, which was positive, right, Katie? Nice. Heck yeah, it was. Because sometimes people ask him questions and he gives you the look for about a four count. <laughs> and then you realize that that wasn't the time to ask that question. <laughs> and then he moves on. And then he moves on. And Katie looked at me and said, he answered both of your questions. <laughs> so, uh yeah, so that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's. Uh, He's been a big supporter of us, so we. I mean, we've always liked Dr. Canal. So. Yeah, and, and we are big promoters of passion. You know, there's a lot of people in the field, especially in MRI. And that he I've sees noticed. that in us, and we appreciate that. So. Yeah, that passion. And I do mean way. that in a complimentary, and I truly mean that. You have the same cadence as him. You, yeah. You are the same passion, even down to the way you guys talk, is very uh, similar. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's very it's it's always nice to be around people like you guys, you know, because it, it just motivates us even more. Sure, you know, it keeps it gets our engine back going. Like, hey, what do you have? Uh, I mean, so you said you got a year in you, and so in this past year, what do you hope to accomplish? So one more year. Yeah, so um, <laughs> Southwest Medical Imaging, uh, formerly Scottsdale Medical Imaging, oh, yeah, 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 who I believe is the, uh, in my opinion, the best outpatient imaging company left. Uh, in my opinion, they do things right. In uh, in my experience, they put the patient first always. Right. There are no corners cut at that facility. Robert, you spent time there. I was a former employee, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, I've, I've, I've spoken a lot of good things about them. And keep going, I can tell you what I... They, they put the patient first, and that means changing every patient into this appropriate wear because three patients got burnt, right? right? And, right. and, you know, they... They are committed to that, and I love that because if you're going in for an MRI, already a traumatic experience for a lot of people, the last thing you ever want to do is leave with a thermal injury or right. a burn. So they're committed to the patient, and um, there's some really talented professionals over there, Tanisha, Megan, um, the CEO, Michael, yeah. who is in complete support of what we're doing, and what we're doing is, uh, you guys have a drum roll? Yeah. Shout out to Megan. Yeah, Megan's terrific. Uh, we're coming together. So starting in this April, uh, they have seen the light for years that the number of available technologists is dwindling. Drastically. The number of professional technologists that smile needs is even, even smaller. Percentage of that. Even smaller, Reggie. Yeah. So why not team up with the dude with the passion? Right. <laughs> and create our, create our own. So this will be the second time in my life I've created a post-primary pathway program. The first time was back in 07. Um, remember Apollo College way back when? It got rebranded Carrington. Yeah. I know we don't say names, but yeah, for sure. I used to be... I, used I graduated to, from there. You did. Huh? Uh, I used to give talks. I talk. should have not said that until you said your opinion first. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I, I was never in the walls of that. Do you know Joanne? Uh, I did. Yes. Joanne. Uh, yeah. Great house. Great house, yeah. Yeah, great house. Big she was Thanks, involved with J-Cert and everything else, but mm -hmm. I really knew the um, the teacher over there, Bill. Uh, older, nice gentleman. Yeah, I know Bill very Bill. well. Bill, yeah. So Bill... Bill Hughes. Bill Hughes. Shout out, Bill. Hi, Bill. No, <laughs> yeah. Bill's, Bill is an amazing person who, who cares very much about the growth of his people, and he knew I had things to share. So... Uh, this is one of my smarter things. I would go over there and give guest lectures about what the market needed. And then I would leave my business card there. And this is in 06, 07. And I owned facilities back then. So inevitably, I would leave my business card to 20 students. I'd hear from 10 of them. I'd pick the best five. And then after I was done scanning at 5 p.m., because even though I was one of the four owners of that, I was the MRI tech. Oh. We had four facilities in two states. 
in Tempe, I scanned all day. And then at five o'clock when everybody left, we had a conference room with a flat screen TV and I would plug my presentation that I was giving all around the West Coast for company. Yeah. And uh, I would train them. They'd come and get their comps. They would pass their test and then we would hire them. And I could tell you 15 names and you know all of them. Right. And that was the first time I had done it. Well, Megan came to me and said, we need techs. There are none. Let's do it. And it's been two years in the making. And uh, starting in April of this year, we are rolling out a post-primary pathway program to x-ray technologists. We're accepting 20 over the course of the year. And uh, I can say this to you two because you'll believe me. This is unequivocally the best MRI program that has ever existed. And I'm teaching it. Two nights, Thursday nights and Friday nights, didactic, Saturdays in a lab, and then they do clinicals one day a week to get their comps on different vendors, different field strengths. They do every type of procedure there. And then uh, um, they'll stay at Smile for, you know, a certain amount of time, and they can stay there forever. Or so after- I assume that this would include a contract. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a... And are, you, are you taking already ART accredited techs or so they're already x-ray techs. they have to be because it's a post-primary pathway program it's the easiest way to get out yeah. of the ground i don't have the patience to start a school it's right. they make it so very if you want to be one of the 20 what would you do to put your name in the hat yeah contact the folks at uh smile can we give your info out uh, you can yeah it's called mri prep at smile yeah we'll put it down link in the description so check that out and uh i'm really proud to be a part of it because you know, I needed a home for all of my passion, all of my knowledge, and all of my ideas. And yeah. Smile is the perfect partner for it because we see the industry the same. They want technologists high in competence right. and in worthiness right. and in teamwork and in c- commitment to the patient's outcomes. Right. And we are eye to eye. Well, what I can tell, what I can say about Smile and my experience is that they weed out the competent and the non, the ones that aren't real right. quick because it's a sink or swim environment. And, uh, I tell, you know, anybody who, uh, who asks that, I think it's a great learning experience to work there. You see, you know, all the specialty things, you know, right. from the cardiacs down to the, <laughs> from head, shoulders, knees and toes. Right. Right. Down That's to the, right. The neuromas <laughs> and yep. the toes, but we're between right before. Right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, I, I and I, I think very highly of the people that you mentioned. I just want to shout them out real quick. So, Bill Hughes. Yeah. Because he's actually a supporter of this podcast. So, Bill. Bill thank of course you. he is. Hi, Bill. It's and, been a little bit. Yeah, and he's also <laughs> on my Facebook. So, hi, Bill. And then Megan. Uh, uh, it was just a short relationship that I had with her. I was only there for, I think, a total of seven months, almost to the day. And... Uh, she said nice things when I said I was coming on here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Obviously did Jonathan Davis, who's also yeah, terrific. I love yeah. Jonathan. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jonathan. We, yep. man. Uh, have we not covered anything that you... Well, there's one more thing. Well, yes, Katie. Yes, there's one more thing. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Oh, and yes. I'm going to go back into the weeds just a minute. I, I will be concise. It's one thing you te- you said this earlier. You can tell people, but I'd rather show them. Right. Right, exactly. Because yeah. no one listens. Right. But if you show them, they'll watch. And Manny Canal has really moved some things. Oh, yeah. Okay. Dr. Canal, Manny, I went to your MRSO with Katie mm-hmm. and Pat Rucker. And I sat there and I listened. And we came back. And I have already given lectures at Smile with an OEM that I was affiliated with 
over the last five years. And part of what we did was I came back from Manny's lecture and I said, okay, that was three and a half days of a lot of information. It's my job to make it pragmatic for technologists to use as a tool. And I know he has his app and he's done that too. Right. But I wanted to do it in my way. Right. In my way was to create a tool for technologists, and I think Dr. Canal will get super fired up to hear this, to be advisors to the Ooh, clinicians. nice. Because that's what they need. These guys have RVUs. These guys get paid by Reed. These guys and gals do not want to be stopping to pick up the phone to answer questions about MRI safety when that is solely our jurisdiction. Now, they are ultimately accountable and on the hook from a litigation standpoint. But they should be trusting our judgment in that space every day in the trenches as part of our professional commitment to patient safety and not being interrupted. Just like they don't call our phone every second and say, hey, Rob, is that a meniscal tear? (laughs) (laughs) Some rads do that with me. (laughs) (laughs) But most of them don't. But so this document here that we're looking at here I came home from that and I said, in, in, in who, who do you think I rolled it out to? Smile. Nice. This is part of their process now. And Dr. Allen is one of the radiologists over there and a huge supporter yeah. of everything progressive and innovative and things that have to do with patient safety and just moving the practice forward. He's been an incredible proponent of uh, things that I've gone into Smile with, and this is one of them. And this is what I took out of there. We need to be advisory to the radiologist. So once you consider what type of exam and what is the order and what is the patient's condition and you determine what type of antenna are we using, then you assess for the three different risks in that room. And they are the static field, what the RF could do, and then, of course, the time-varying gradient fields. So this document is made to be held in the technologist's hands. And when they're researching anything from an active implant to whatever, an external fixation device, the radiologists over at Smile now expect to be advised by the technologist, technologist on what the individual risks are in each silo. So if you go in there and say, the patient has an implant, I'm worried about they'll say, what's the risk? They bring them back to this document. What's the static field risk? Is there going to be a projectile moving across the room? What is the RF risk? Are there going to be burns? And what is the risk from an active implant disruption from a time-varying magnetic field? They they stay in this framework. So I bring this up because I talked to you about how much I love Smile as a partner. It's one thing to go to a conference and say, wow, that dude's really talented or that gal's really talented. I'm pumping up my own tires here. I, I realize that. You guys got me feeling comfortable enough where I can brag a little bit. It's another thing to go to that conference and, and see what Manny's done from a commitment level and come back and pragmatically apply it to a radiology practice to improve the lives of a technologist and a radiologist and the patient and to make technologists feel competent and worthy. This document keeps technologists safe. Right. Because now they can speak on a clinician level. Because, by the way, what in the world would a radiologist possibly know about MRI safety? Are you kidding me? Right. Why would we ask them that? A lot of times they ask me, what do you think? Um, It's interesting. You know, thankfully, where we work, we kind of get our hands held. (laughs) We work with physicists that kind of take this. uh, We also work with MRSO, who are highly trained in dealing with these various scenarios. And so we kind of rely on them to make those decisions for us for technologists. But from that, it kind of takes away from the opportunity to learn ourselves. And so there's, 
pros and cons to that for sure. The majority of MRI facilities out there need this. Now, do you is this like free access PDF that you can share? Yeah, I mean, I think, Where they can just cross out smile. And yeah, cross out smile. Or... I mean, hey, let's. Split it. Me you know what Smile did was they took. Uh, they didn't like did. my name of it. I called it the Mix Sack. They said it sounded gross. So I, um, it was the uh, MRI Conditional it's Safety and Assessment Checklist. Maybe, I never so. really cared about the acronym. I just had to put it together real quick for a lecture. I was like, hey, look at the mix sack. And then I, you know, I didn't talk to them in a couple of months. They put all their colors behind it. And now they call it the Smile MR Risk Assessment. So, yes, Reggie, we'll cross out the name. Awesome. This is, uh, This is, you know, it's a privilege for me to take something that Manny has grassrooted. Right. And then... <clears throat> change it, innovate, whatever, in a way that I see fit from a technologist perspective because right. I am a technologist, and that's what I've done. And uh, it's for everybody. Man. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we got a year and a half left with this guy. Got a, a year, Reggie. Right. How is it that a you're year. still just single, like, yeah, Just a year? <laughs> so single. How is it that you're still single? I don't know. No, it's, you know... Uh, <laughs> That's a, uh, well, I mean, that's a... Um, you need a Reggie for a wingman, basically. I got you. Yeah, you know, um, it just hasn't presented itself yet. No, I, I hear you I hear more you than you know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, hey. I'm playing the same field. Actually, you're my competition. I am. I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I promise you I'm not your competition. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm a lot to deal with. <laughs> in case We're you, fishing from the same pond. We, 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 we may be fishing in the same pond, but... Uh, no, no, I, I rule myself out real quick as um, somebody that a woman would, would want to spend a ton of time so with. We'll provide... I enjoy what I enjoy, and right. uh, if she walks in, she walks in, but I'm certainly not chasing it. That's okay. We'll, yeah. we'll provide your number below. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and mine as well. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Do a new poll. Uh, well, thank you. Appreciate your time. We love your passion. That's, at the end of the day, what encouraged us to even start a podcast was yeah. people's passion. Um, and the people, it resonates with them. And I use that word intentionally. So and just starting a conversation on the psychology of the workspace. Because you're right, there is that that hidden layer. It's not really hidden, but that superiority layer that we kind of get trapped in, you know? And you have the power of persuasion because at first when you said you're out of radiology in a year's time, I was really heartbroken. But I really love the path that you're choosing. And uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot that you have to offer. Yeah. And so good for you, because yeah. a lot of people have you to thank. Like I said, you, you your name actually come across my uh, uh, lunch, right when we first started doing the podcast. I mean, well, even before that. So right. like I, I went back and Hugh and I exchanged emails back in I think it was 2014. Um, and so I, I was reaching out to you because I heard that you re you uh, offered a registry review class. Oh, nice! And so him and I were in communication. He doesn't know that, but <laughs> I'm stalking you. Yeah, no, <laughs> one way uh, or another, you and I <laughs> across paths. Yeah. Well, so thank you for what yeah. thank what thank you for what you've done to the industry. Okay, and I'm not just you know it is what it is. I really truly appreciate that because. Uh, I mean, it speaks volumes because what you're doing is you're it's contagious. It's contagious, yeah, exactly. And you're lighting that bug. I mean, that, you know that you got so many techs who uh, are button pushers, but it's nice to see one that's not. So thank you. And by the way, uh, you too as well. So you guys are my brethren, right? Right. You guys uh, do the same thing I do to pay bills, right? In in similar fashion. Right. And here you guys are innovating and grassrooting a podcast. Um, in MR, in pushing it. So we are 
like-minded individuals and right. I and that gets me fired up and together right. cumulative, cumulative well I should only use words I know how to say <laughs> together <laughs> never mind that together we are advancing the field by having conversations in right. that if, if one person can read this and say you know that's you know, I deal with some of those challenges or, you know, that's an interesting idea. Let me explore it more than, than exactly. it was time well spent. And yeah. even if it's just one person, right? We don't know what side of the world that one person is. Right. And so uh, yeah. the influence that you don't even know that you have, um, right. we appreciate. So thank you for your time, Rob. Yeah. Wow, we finally met you. And maybe if we can make it to 100,000 MRI techs in the nation, he might not retire, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I yeah, we'd have to... Uh, we yeah. want you to be our PRN. Yeah, I'm on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, PRN, like part time. Yeah. Is that what that means? Yeah. yeah, yeah. PRN, medical terms. Uh, no, thank you, Katie, Reggie, no, Robert. That was yeah. super fun. No problem, man. Thank you. And uh, I'll see you in a few months, yeah. and uh, we'll talk about some other stuff. I have to, you know, Smile is a professional company, right? Right. And now I'm affiliated with those guys, so I'm careful about what I say. Right. But uh, you know, I like to talk about some fun things too. So. Yeah. Won't be the last time you see Rob. Won't be the last time we see us. Uh, you know, hit subscribe, like, do all those things that YouTubers tell you to do. Zone 3 Podcast. Reggie, say it. Cut. The information and comments provided in the Zone 3 Podcast and website are not intended to be technical or medical recommendations or advice for individuals or patients. The information and comments provided under the auspices of Zone 3 Podcast and their guests are of a general nature and should not be considered specific to any individual or patient. Whether or not a specific patient is referenced by the physician, technologist, individual, group, or other entity seeking information. Zone 3 Podcast may provide links or references to websites. Such links are provided as a convenience to our listeners seeking more information on topics. These websites are not affiliated with Zone 3 Podcast, nor do they endorse or manage content discussions unless otherwise stated during recording.